1: Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com
2: Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3? Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, Poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. "...behold, I stand the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Today, we come to the final letter to an individual congregation in Revelation. And I have been richly blessed and greatly challenged by coming to understand these letters to these churches more. The benefit that we have found in all of these letters is that this message is so relevant. I'm guessing that you can picture the kinds of churches described in every single one of these letters the first one was to the church in Ephesus, doctrinally pure, and this was very good, but unloving, and this was very bad. They're the sort of fundamentalist congregation that needs to learn love or face judgment. Smyrna was A poor, persecuted congregation that had nothing to commend it in worldly terms. The congregation was poor and dying and facing persecution. But Jesus sees their spiritual vitality and promises them the crown of life. You can find churches like this one all across the globe in places where Christianity is illegal, where Christians are being persecuted. Pergamum is passionate but overly permissive. They haven't addressed those within their midst who are given to sexual immorality. They're an immature congregation. Kevin DeYoung likens this to a a college ministry that is passionate but needs to learn discipline. Heavy on the passion. Light on the faithful living. Thyatira is a warm-hearted, loving congregation, and this is very good. But this church tolerates false teaching and false prophets and allows the congregation to participate in sexual immorality and supports the ministry of teaching that sexual immorality should be embraced. This is reflective of many liberal congregations who need to learn biblical truth, particularly as it relates to human sexuality or face judgment. Sardis is a megachurch well-known for its success and its apparent vitality, but it is a congregation that's dead. The church receives no positive words from the Lord Jesus Christ, though there are some in its midst that Jesus said, you haven't soiled your garments. Philadelphia is precisely the sort of congregation that we should desire to be, humble, weak, No worldly power to speak of, but faithful to the name of Jesus, enduring, conquering in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. These are the six churches that we've encountered up to this point, and the last one that we come to is this church in Laodicea, perhaps the worst congregation of all of them. The church in Sardis is told that they're dead, but the Lord Jesus mentions that there are some in the congregation who have not soiled their garments. He promises that they will walk with Jesus dressed in white to show their purity and their victory. But you may notice that there's no such group of people that's addressed in this congregation, in this church of Laodicea. It's the only congregation where nothing good can be said either about the church or any of its members. Jesus has saved the worst for last. And the troubling thing about this letter is that it may be that no letter may reflect the white American church more than this particular one, written to the church in Laodicea 2,000 years ago. And we must be humble enough today to hear these words and if they describe us or this congregation or ministries that we support or our institutions or our denomination then we need to repent. To understand this letter it's helpful to understand a little bit about the city of Laodicea. It was one of the wealthiest cities in all of Asia Minor, in all of the the kind of Roman world at the time. It was exceedingly wealthy. There were three main reasons for the wealth of this city of Laodicea. The first was banking. It was a city that uh, that was renowned for its banking. And because it was so well known for its banking, the city earned great wealth by handling the money of many different cities. Not only was this a city that was known for its banking, it was also uh, known for its textiles. It had a unique type of wool. There was a raven black wool that the sheep had in this particular vicinity, and Laodicea uh, had a thriving textile industry that was built on the back of this raven black wool from these sheep that were in this particular area. People all around in cities across this particular area would purchase these unique black textiles and the garments made from it. This also earned the city a great deal of wealth. This was also a center of health the doctors and scientists of Laodicea had discovered an eye salve or a compound for curing diseases that was known as Fergian powder. It was put on the eyes and it was said to relieve a bunch of, a bunch of different ailments that people would experience, particularly of the eyes, help people see. Having this Fergian power led to a great deal and even more fame and money. The city was so wealthy that when earthquakes devastated the city in the year 60, 60 A.D., the Roman government came in and offered money to the city of Laodicea to rebuild what had crumbled and fallen down. But because the city was so wealthy, they said, Rome, we don't need your help. We'll rebuild the city ourselves. And the wealthy within the city of Laodicea gave all the money necessary to rebuild the city in its entirety. This is particularly striking to me. Imagine the kind of devastation that might come to Orland Park right? Say, I I don't know, something like the the forest preserve that's just across the street from here. Say it caught on fire and the the fire was not contained and all the homes in Orland Park or the majority of them were wiped out and devastated by fire. And and say the Illinois state government and the federal government came in and said, you know, what? we have federal and state emergency dollars for you, Orland Park. We're going to help you rebuild all that's lost. And Orland Park was wealthy enough to be like, nah, thanks. We'll go, we'll go it alone. That would be a unique amount of wealth to be able to say that. And that was the kind of wealth that this city had, that the city of Laodicea had. The only issue that Laodicea had, it had no close, clean, good water, so they constructed massive aqueducts, part of the marvels of engineering of the Roman Empire to bring water into the city from a place six miles away. And this background should help us understand some of the words of Jesus as he speaks to this congregation. Let's take a look at these letters, at this letter to the church in Laodicea. The composition of the letter should be a familiar one to us by now. It follows the same composition of the letters have come before, the beginning of those letters being an introduction wherein Jesus describes himself using some of the imagery of Revelation chapter 1. The same thing happens in this letter to the church in Laodicea. In verse 14, we're told, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation.
1: Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message.
2: Three things Jesus is described as. He's the uh, amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of God's creation. What does this mean? Well, first, he's the Amen. In the Gospels, when Jesus is teaching the crowds, a lot of times the way that he would begin his uh, speaking to them in the Greek is this. He would say, amen, amen, I say to you. It's translated into English, truly, truly, I say to you. And this is the the translation of amen into English. It's, It's saying, I'm speaking a true word to you. Jesus is saying, I am the amen. I am the true word. Jesus is the true word. And he's not only the true word, he's a faithful and true witness, This congregation in Laodicea did not believe true things about itself. It's saying, we're rich, we're good, we're enough. But this was all false. The testimony of the church in Laodicea is corrupted. Jesus has no corrupted testimony. What he says about this congregation will be true. Because he is the truth. And his testimony is faithful and true. And he's the beginning of God's creation. This is a way of describing Christ's preeminence. He has the first place in all of creation. He's the firstborn, meaning the heir, the one that is destined to reign and rule over all of creation. It means that he's the one that rightly possesses everything that's on earth. This congregation, Laodicea, thought it was rich, but it was Christ who owned and possessed all things, not this particular congregation. And the one who is the authority and the one who is true and the one whose testimony is true has some challenging, difficult words for this church. And so he starts with words of challenge. He begins, I know your works. This is the part of the letter where we would expect him to say something positive about the congregation. Because in the vast majority of letters, that's where this comes. I know your works, he says, but clearly he's unimpressed by them. Because there are no words of encouragement, only immediately challenging words. I wish you were hot or cold, Jesus says. Because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. The Greek word there can be translated vomit. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Now let's talk a little bit about what this doesn't mean. What Jesus is saying here is is not, I wish you were either clearly for me or clearly against me, but my problem is that you're not clearly for me or clearly against me. Jesus isn't saying, you know, I wish that you were either passionate about your trust in me or that you were ice cold and opposed to me. It's not that Jesus is saying either be passionate or be opposed, don't stay in the middle. He's not saying that. Well, what is Jesus saying by saying, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth? Well, perhaps what he's saying is related to the particulars of this city. As I mentioned at the very beginning of this sermon, Laodicea had a problem with its water supply. It had aqueducts to bring in water from six miles away from hot springs in a town that I can't pronounce about six miles away. It's a town that starts with the word D. I'm not even going to try to say it because it's too difficult for me to know how to pronounce it, and it probably wouldn't be helpful to us anyway. Anyway, the water coming in from six miles away through this aqueduct system that had been constructed did not have enough time to cool in the aqueducts but arrived to the city lukewarm. It also had the problem of being filled with minerals that made the water undrinkable. So substantial were the minerals that came from this hot spring through the aqueduct into the town of Laodicea that the aqueducts were coated with these minerals. I actually have a picture of this that we could pull up if you have a chance. There's a picture of this aqueduct. As you can see, this uh, this is an aqueduct. If you can see that, that is coated with minerals. If you can discern, there's this outer rim which was the pipe through which the water was flowing. And inside of this is this remaining part of this aqueduct into Laodicea just coated with minerals because the water was so full of it. The minerals were calcium carbonate, and the effect of drinking the water because of the calcium carbonate inside of it would be to vomit the water up. In contrast to that, there were two cities right near the city of Laodicea, a part of the same trade route. Just to the north was the city of Hierapolis, about six miles away. It was well known for its hot springs. People would travel for miles around to come and experience the healing benefits of the hot waters of Hierapolis. And on that same trade route, about 10 miles to the east of the city of Laodicea was the ancient city of Colossae. That's the city that the book of Colossians was written to. They were known for their cold, pure, life-giving waters. The distinct nature of the water in both Hierapolis and Colossae was refreshing and healing. The lukewarm, vomit-inducing water of Laodicea was not. Jesus is saying that he wishes that they were of the sort who could refresh and heal through their hot springs, or refresh and heal through cold, pure water. But they're not distinct they're not restorative. They're not healing. They're vomit-inducing, mineral-filled, tepid water. What, What this is saying can be understood even if we abstract it from the context of these two particular cities. Think about if someone comes to your house and you're hosting them and you want to be a good host. I'm guessing that part of your usual way of hosting is not now for dinner, would you, would you like to supplement that meal with, with some lukewarm water? Would you like to supplement it with some lukewarm milk? Or how about this? I made a pot of coffee this morning. It's been sitting out since this morning. Would you like some lukewarm coffee along with your dinner? I can just pour it for you, fill up your cup right now. This would not be a particularly... Uh, listen, if, if you ever come to my house and I do that, it means I don't actually want you to be there. Hey, let me, let me give you some lukewarm coffee. I've just got a ton of lukewarm coffee for you. I say that because I wouldn't ever serve you lukewarm coffee It's gross You'd spit it out of your mouth I mean, let's be honest Coffee is gross, period But particularly so (laughs) Particularly so if it is lukewarm It's not good to be drunk You would spit that out Or think about a bath A, a, A hot bath can be relaxing and restorative An ice bath can help reduce inflammation and heal A lukewarm bath is no good to anybody But here was this particular church No good to anybody Because they were indistinct. They didn't heal. They didn't restore. And so the Lord says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And Jesus goes on to describe in more detail exactly the problem that they have. He says at the very beginning, would, that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and either hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And then he says exactly what their issue is in verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. The problem here with the church in Laodicea is is self-sufficiency and complacency. Self-sufficiency and complacency. They are wealthy in worldly terms and so they think that that's enough. They rely on themselves. They're just like the city that they're a part of. An earthquake comes, Rome offers some money, no thanks. We're good all on our own. We're sufficient because of our own wealth. The church in Laodicea was the same sort of way. We're good. I'm good on my own. We've got enough wealth, we've got enough riches, we've got enough ability, we've got enough volunteers. We're good. The deadly thing for this particular church was having material possessions in abundance and therefore forgetting that they needed Jesus. It is is spiritually deadly for any congregation to believe that they are enough because of their own wealth or ability or strength or power. It is spiritually deadly for you or me to believe that we are enough apart from Jesus. One of the great spiritually deadly things is for you to believe, for you to feel, for us to to think that we are self-sufficient. Self-sufficiency is deadly in spiritual terms. And yet the gospel of self-sufficiency is everywhere in this culture in which we live. I think the gospel of self-sufficiency may be the most common gospel in America. And therefore, this message to the church in Laodicea can cut deep because it tells us don't put your trust in yourself. It tells us an exceedingly challenging message. It tells us you are not enough. You are not enough apart from Jesus. I've got a couple of pictures here. These are some things that you can buy on Etsy right now if you want to you know, navigate to Etsy, hopefully not during the sermon. But if we could pull up the second picture here, I want to show you some of the things that you could purchase right now if you were to navigate there to Etsy. Look at that. You see what that reads? It says, I am enough. It says, I trust my intuition. I seek no one's approval. I accept my imperfections. They make me who I am. I love my uniqueness. You can go to Etsy and purchase this. I mean, this is, this is like American religion 101 right here. Let's, let's go to the next one, the next picture. I am strong, I am worthy, I am loved, I am enough. I am enough if <laughs> you can find just a ridiculous amount of artwork or charms or things that will tell you that you are enough just the way that you are, that you need nothing else. This, this is the religion of America right here. And please understand... Please understand. A lot of times these have been created for people that, that have been demeaned or mistreated by all sorts of folks around them. The message, that they, the message that they need to hear is: listen, you've been created good. That you've been you've been made by God, that He loves you, that He cares for you. But the simple message, I am enough, is a deadly one. Here's the truth of the gospel: I am not enough, but Christ is. I am not enough. My works are not enough, but Christ's cross is. Nothing that I have done is enough, but Christ's resurrection from the grave is. And the deadly thing that had taken a hold of this church in Laodicea is they thought, I am wealthy, I am sufficient, I am enough in my own strength. And Jesus comes to them and says, you are not. You see, because only Jesus is. Listen, what I have for you today is nothing more and is nothing less than Jesus the church, a true church, it will hold out Jesus because here's the thing Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. But take a look at all the things that this church in Laodicea, because of its wealth, because of its wealth, because it was trusting, okay? For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. They thought they were rich. But Jesus doesn't back off. You're wretched, you're pitiable, you're poor, and you're naked. This was a region in which textiles were exceedingly popular. They had all the finest of clothes. They were arrayed in all of their Dolce and Gabbana and Burberry and Prada, but they had no spiritual garments to wear, and therefore they were naked and pitiable and poor and wretched. Remember the story of the emperor who had no clothes? He got taken in by some hucksters who claimed that he would be the, the one that was dressed in the finest clothes of all the land. And they came to him, and they measured him, and they started weaving and sewing, and they said, you see, this fabric is so fine, it's so pure, it's so perfect that you can't see it. And when you wear this garment, it, w- it will be so freeing. It will, it will show everyone that you are the wealthiest, that you are the one that's the most stylish, that, that you're the one arrayed in splendor. And so they helped the emperor into these clothes that didn't exist. They took large sums of money from him to purchase these expensive clothes that didn't exist. And then he decided to parade himself through the city. And because he was the emperor, no one was willing to tell him he was not wearing any clothes. Except a little kid, right? The church in Laodicea had no clothes. They'd spent vast sums of money to dress themselves in the textiles that were common in this particular city at the time, but they had not purchased any spiritual garments from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter how nice you look wearing those raven black clothes that your textile mills produce, you are not clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and therefore you're wretched and pitiable and naked, and so Jesus says, don't labor for the gold that the city produces through its banking industry. No, no, no. Come to me for spiritual gold refined by fire.
1: My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through his word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you.
2: Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reform Church. This month we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com.